you a real quick question. Which one of these pictures depicts more what you think Jesus is like? Which of these photos most best depicts what Jesus is to you or what, what he looks like to you? Why is that? That's just the way that I've always pictured him. I would say B, because that's mostly the image that I usually see associated with Jesus. Okay. And you? I'm liking C also. The shepherd. I was going for C also because I think he just looks the kindest there. Uh, that's, that's what Catholic school does for yeah. you. <laughs> I want to say this. I don't think I know what he looks like, but I don't think he looks like a white man. For sure. <laughs> B. B, why is that? That's a good question. Because he died for us. About you? I was going to say B because it's the one I'm most familiar with, actually. Okay? Well, A, we don't know if that's truly him. Um, and that C is most lifelike. C. C, why is that? Because he is kind. Yeah, look at me. I'm still here. So he got to be kind. He brought me from where I was. You know, I used to be a dauphin. Now I'm coming up on four years clean. Good for you. Congratulations. Picture most very quickly depicts Jesus to you. Okay, sir, can we ask you a question? B. B, why is that? That's the real meaning of Christ there, hanging on the cross. Photos. Best depicts what Jesus is to you. None of the above. Okay, why is that? really want to talk to me about religion? <laughs> Please, well, no, not on camera. How about B? Why is that? Uh, because it depicts the crucifixion of Christ, and that's really the essential meaning of Christ. That's the one I'm most familiar with, being raised a Catholic, but, um, I mean, that's just because I'm most familiar with it. Well, I don't think any of them really depict what he means to me. Those are just pictures. Jesus is inside you. Which, okay, can I ask you a quick question? C. C, why is that? Um, because the way I was taught Jesus is a caring person, loving person. Um, and that just seems more like him right there. C, by far. And why is that? Just the, uh, the loving, take you into your arms, take you into my arms, take care of you kind of thing. I agree with, uh, number C, but also, I'm not sure any of them are. Yeah. They all differ. Interesting exploration for all of us to consider, you know, where, just where did uh, these particular folks get their picture of Jesus? Uh, heard a couple of them say, ah, oh, yeah, that's what school will do for you. That's what Catholic school will do for you. And then the few of you that uh, went to Catholic school laughed knowingly. This... Uh, particular series, these next six weeks, is one where we want to ask that question, where did we get the knowledge that formed the images, the pictures of Jesus in our own minds, in our own lives? Because no one, no one's immune from having assumptions or expectations or even knowledge that's wrong about Jesus. 
Matter of fact, I would say that none of us have a completely developed picture of Jesus or we'd be God. And uh, as much as you want to be God, or I want to be God, we're not. Yeah, it is a good thing. And there's all kinds of pictures that are presented of Jesus, ideas about who Jesus is. I mean, it's, in some ways, it's sort of popular to have Jesus on your side. You know, the, who's the, the Eckhart Tolle, I think is how you say his name. You heard of him before? He's one of the, the spiritual gurus of the day. Uh, been on, uh, he's got a couple books out. Uh, uh, Oprah's had him on. He says some interesting things about Jesus. You know, that Jesus is one of humanity's early flowers, like Buddha or Siddhartha or Lao Tzu. I don't know who Lao Tzu is, but y'all can inform me later. That he was an awakened human who pointed to the possibility of awakening from the collective nightmare of normal human existence. Uh, that when Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life, that's what um, uh, Dr. Tolle says, he was not saying something uniquely true about himself. He was pointing us to the truth about ourselves. When Jesus says, I am the way, he's pointing to all humanity because he had reached a level of humanity that connected him with all of humanity. You follow that? Okay. I did. Also, there's a website. Jesus has a website. Man, I thought I was good having a... We got a blog going now. Jesus has got a blog. I think it's askjesus.com. And, and so I looked at that a little bit. And you... you Somebody asked Jesus about where all he'd been, and Jesus talked about trips to Venus and other places. And I'm like, ah, it's really pretty cool. There's all kinds of stuff out there. It, many of you know Bart Campolo and probably get his uh, monthly newsletter. And, and he, uh, he's preached from here uh, before, and he shared of a number of folks um, that uh, are his neighbors who have very interesting pictures of Jesus. One gentleman, I think if I remember correctly, his name was Jeffrey. Jeffrey uh, had done a lot of work in the uh, drug trade. And uh, he was not like the gentleman on the screen who was clean and sober for four years. And he was sharing with Bart one of, one of his exciting days of work in the drug trade in his neighborhood. And he, he shared about... Um, how he saw in the corner of his eye a couple guys that were in rival gangs and and rival um, uh, drug dealers. And and he ran up to his room, found his gun, found his ammunition quick enough and was able to get back down in order to see the guys again, take a couple shots at them and then run away. And and, and there must have been some police close by because the siren started almost right after he let go. A couple of the... He fired his gun and he ran back into the apartment. The cops showed up, chased after him. He ran up the flights of stairs, got to the top floor, busted into a woman's apartment, ran to a window, looked outside and the dumpster was right outside the window, jumped out out of the window, fell into the dumpster and stayed there for two hours. Hurt his leg uh, badly on the jump, didn't break it, just bruised it really badly. A couple hours afterwards, 
you know, he pulled himself out of the dumpster, made his way back. And Bart said, well, uh, what happened to the, like, the gunfire, the bullets, the guys you shot? Well, yeah, I shot them, but I didn't kill them, so they're okay. It was, and it's like, uh, but I scared them and marked my territory well. To which Bart thought the story was over. And then Jeffrey turned to him and said, yeah, Jesus was with me that day. That's Jeffrey's picture of Jesus. In, in our presbytery meeting just a couple of weeks ago, presbytery is a gathering representatives, commissioners from all the Presbyterian churches. Basically, it's southwest Ohio and also Kentucky and Indiana. There's an article about it and you're hot off the, the press that you can read uh, more of the details. But our discussion there was about human sexuality particularly about the the issues of human sexuality as it applies to people who are ordained as deacons, elders, or ministers of the Word and Sacrament. Is there there a a particular guideline for the expression of sexuality that God would give to us? And there were people in that meeting that believed the whole gambit and wanted to talk about it and wanted to to argue for their, their case, specifically around issues of homosexuality. Well, what applies to here is that of all the people that got up to speak about it, everybody wanted Jesus on their side. Everybody could speak to how Jesus was affirming their particular position. At the end of the meeting, I almost wanted to ask, you know, will the real Jesus please stand up? We, We all all need a reset of who Jesus is in our life, of who Jesus is in reality, because our natural tendency is to get to know Jesus and then begin to look at Him, form, conjure up a picture of Him that looks an awful lot like us. Pascal said... God has started it all off by making us in His image. And we've been returning the favor ever since. From the, the person that's a seeker, not, not a believer, just one that's saying, you know, I'm really, really just curious about who this Jesus is, to the most seasoned, experienced Christian. We all need to regularly be reset and have the little boxes that we put Jesus in smashed so that we see who Jesus is maybe a little more clearly as we were singing, that we see His beauty more perfectly. Even John the Baptist needed to be reset in terms of his expectations, in terms of his assumptions. That's our passage in Luke chapter 7, starting with verse 18. It's found on page 839 in your pew Bible. And we'll see even here how John 
had some kind of expectations that Jesus wasn't meeting and how Jesus answers him and answers us. Let's, uh, let's pray together. Gracious God, thank you for your written word. Thank you that your spirit does continue to reveal to us what is true, what is real. Help us to hear from you. Help us to be reset according to your truth and your righteousness. And to set aside the voices of sin within us or the voices of the world or even of uh, the evil one who fills us with lies. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Luke chapter 7, verses 18 through 23. And then we're going to jump down to verse 31 through 35. Um, Verses 24 through 30, you can read on your own. It's really Jesus talking specifically about John. I wanted to just look at the part of the passages where we're talking mostly about Jesus. Hear the word of the Lord. The disciples of John reported all these things to him. So John summoned two of his disciples and sent them to the Lord to ask... Are you the one who is to come, or are we to wait for another? When the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you to ask, Are you the one who is to come, or are we to wait for another? Jesus had just then cured many people of diseases, plagues, and evil spirits, and had given sight to many who were blind. And he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have good news brought to them, and blessed is anyone who takes no offense at me. In verse 31. To what then will I compare the people of this generation, Jesus speaking, and what are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We wailed and you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine and you say he has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking and you say, Look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Nevertheless, wisdom is vindicated by all her children. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We're not told in the passage, but you may recall. And if you look back a few chapters, you'll see that John the Baptist is in prison when this happens. Now, think back. Remember, just who is John the Baptist? Remember his story. It was sort of equal billing at the beginning of Luke. I mean... John in the womb was chosen, set apart. Remember his, when his mama and Jesus' mama got together? And they were both in the womb. They had a little party. You know, they started dancing with each other. They both knew. I mean, something was up even in the womb with Jesus and with John the Baptist. And, and John was, has called. He was, he was chosen. He was gifted from the beginning. You're the one, John, that's going to announce the coming of Jesus, the Messiah. The one from the Lord. And John even said, back in Luke chapter 3, 16 and 17, that's where he said, 
One who is coming after me whose sandals I can't even untie. I baptize with water. He's going to baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So, so John the Baptist, he's a, he's a good guy. I mean, he is in with God, you know, I mean, connected. And now, he's wondering. Why do you think he's wondering? Why do you think he's asking the question? Jesus, are, are, are you the one? Are, are you, or or should, was I wrong? Should we wait for another? You see how even John the Baptist's expectations of Jesus were wrong. I mean, the reason John's asking the question is because he's in prison. That's not how it was working in John's plan. Jesus was supposed to... I mean, John did what the Father asked of him. He announced it. He did it all. He wore the weird clothes. He ate the weird food. Lived out in the desert. All to prepare the way for Jesus. And Jesus is supposed to come and clean house. Certainly, John's not supposed to be in prison. And he's certainly not supposed to stay in prison. And he's not supposed to get out of prison only after he's been made to be in two pieces. Which is what happens to John. His assumptions, his expectations had to be changed. Was John looking for a religious savior? He was going to purify the religion of the day. He was going to make the church right. He was going to set the temple up right. right? The, the, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, they were going to be changed before Jesus. But that's not what happened. Matter of fact, they opposed him and even participated in his arrest and death. Maybe what he wanted was a political savior. Yeah, he wanted one that was going to come and was going to make changes that were necessary to, to get the politics right. We don't know, though, do we? He didn't do that. Matter of fact, he didn't even talk about politics. Maybe he came as a personal savior. You know, he was going to save us personally. That didn't work too well for John. That's what he was wondering. Are you really the one? So even John the Baptist needed to be reset in his expectations of Jesus. Now look at then how Jesus answers the question. John wants to know, Jesus, are are you the one or should we wait for another? And Jesus simply then answers them by saying, Go back, tell John what you've seen and what you've heard. Tell them about these things right here. 
verse 22. That the blind receive their sight. The lame walk. The lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. The poor have good news brought to them. And blessed is anyone who takes no offense at me. Now, what John and Jesus and John's followers would have recognized, we probably wouldn't notice. We would just say, well, yeah, Jesus did powerful things, therefore he's of God. That's not quite the case. Because what Jesus is referring to here, the things that he has not only done, but the way that he says them are directly related to words from the prophet Isaiah. It's really quoting from four or five different passages directly. Because what Jesus is saying, not just look at what's happening around us, but look at the text. Look at our story. Look at what God has promised to do and see that God is doing it. Always draw back. Jesus is saying to John, look at God is not has not changed his plan. God is fulfilling it just like he said he was. The problem is, John, that maybe you'd added a few things on or left a few things off. A number of those passages are Isaiah 29 and Isaiah 35. See them there in Isaiah 26 and 61. Look at 29, 18. On that day, the deaf shall hear the words of the scroll, and out of their gloom and darkness the eyes of the blind shall see. 35. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped, and the lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the speechless sing for joy. Your dead shall live, their corpses shall rise, Isaiah 26. And then Isaiah 61 The same words that Jesus quoted back in Luke chapter 4, which are his ordination service that we've talked a lot about when it comes to being a jubilee community. Being about what Jesus was about. Pursuing the work of heaven on earth. This is culminates it all. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted to proclaim liberty to the captives and release to the prisoners. Jesus also adds in this list that the lepers are cleansed. I think as an example of a way that wasn't mentioned in Isaiah particularly, but a way that the spirit of what Isaiah was saying was being fulfilled right in their midst. That the, the, the diseases of leprosy were specifically being healed. So he brings John back to the text. He brings John back to the written word of God to say, look, this is what God's promised all along. You know it. I know it. Your disciples know it. And it would have clicked within them in that moment. And then, Brings the last phrase, and blessed is anyone who takes no offense at me. So, for us, as we we start this reset, what what that means for us is that, that we go back to the text. That we go to the scriptures. If our desire 
in a sense, is, uh, you know, the, the pure Jesus, without additives, without preservatives, you know, the whole food Jesus. Then we go back to the text. And if, if you got one of these when you came in, I encourage you to use these books through the next six weeks. And I'm sure that's what you guys are doing as y'all are writing over here. I know that you're just taking notes in this baby and answering those questions. And I, I just want to let these guys be an example to us all. I'm really impressed. They're even sharing insights with one another. But the, this, this is a, a tool for us to use individually and a tool to use in our small groups. And I hope and encourage you to get in one. I know there was one that meets here at 9. There's one that meet, plenty that meet at other times. Or you can start one up today. And Ron or Renee or Mike will be in the atrium with more material so that we discuss it with each other. Because one of the things that helps is to get other perspectives to see it from angles that we haven't seen before. And there's group folks now at, uh, at Winton Hills Church who are um, in, inviting them and encouraging them as they go to the same to have some small groups with people from both churches. But we go back together to the text. And what this challenges us to do this week is to read Luke. To, to just put everything behind, as much as we can. You know, the academic discipline, it's impossible to be totally objective. But just to put the bags behind, leave them behind, and just read Luke like you're reading it for the first time this week. And read it as a story. You know, the, the Bible is not a devotional book. That we just sort of pick out one little verse here or there. It's a story. It's, it's events that are put together. It's, it's God's story with God's people. And we, and we need to read it that way. And that's what Luke is designed for us to do. You'll also find in the end here little stickers. And you'll, you'll find out about those. And there are ways that you take the sticker off and you put it on something that will remind you uh, to, to, to pray. Something that will remind you to reset your own picture of Jesus or whatever it might be. I mean, for, for me, it has to go on my calendar first. You know, reset my calendar according to the ways of Jesus. Now, I want to take one minute here. Well, more than a minute. That's you know, a figure of speech. Um, on the reliabilities of the Scriptures. Because if we go back to the text, well, it's like, well, isn't that sort of using the word to within the definition of the same word? You know, you're not supposed to do that, right? I mean, yeah, this is how how really can we know that this is authentic? How really can we be sure that this is reliable? I mean, hadn't it really just sort of been passed down and it's been changed? I mean, I watched Da Vinci Code. They talked a lot about how this has been, you know, changed over time and certain parts of it hidden. When you look at the books of antiquity, that means really, really, really old books. And when you look at those books, there is an academic discipline that has a number of tests that are used to discern if something is reliable, if it's true to what was originally written. 
And I mean, man, I, this, is, I'm, this is a whole seminary course in like two, three minutes. And there are all kinds of tests. Things like eyewitness accounts. So they have details in them that really don't matter. Do they have things that, that look like contradiction, contradictions in them? Because if they don't, then it probably means somebody cleaned it up. Do they have historical tidbits that are really true? The Bible is equal to none. I mean, there are none equal to the Bible when it comes to how it passes all of those tests. One of the tests are the, the manuscripts, the, the existing manuscripts of the Bible. You know, they're copies of the Bible throughout the last 2,000 years. But we have over 10,000 manuscripts dated all the way back to around 146 A.D. That's a part of the book of John that, that has survived those 2,000 years that show, the, in a sense, the genealogy of the Bible and how and if and why maybe it was changed as it spread from the Middle East throughout the world. The, the next highest number of manuscripts for a book of antiquity are, are Homer. You know, not Homer Simpson, but Homer, the Greek poet, the Odyssey, the Iliad. You studied it in school sometime. And that, that book has less than 500 copies through its 2,500 years. Has less than a fourth. And that's second place. And the, the earliest copy of Homer's Iliad or Odyssey is like 600 years, 700 years after it was supposedly written. Whereas we have a copy of the New Testament, or a piece of John that was written within 150 years of Jesus' life. All that goes to show that the Bible was around in the generations after Jesus. I mean, it would have been easy for people to read it and say, you know, that's it's not true. It wasn't something that was written 500 years after Jesus was around that were just nice stories that had been passed on through generations. Another example of that is <clears throat> what we just did with Isaiah. Used to be in the 1900s, 1920s, th- those days, early, early 1900s, that uh, uh, certain um, folks uh, that opposed uh, the Christian message w- would say that, you know, all these prophecies in the Old Testament written about Jesus, you know, they were written after Jesus had lived. And so they were changed so that they would comply with who Jesus was. And in the time those arguments were made, a hundred years ago, we didn't... The oldest copy of Isaiah we had was like 300 AD. So it was. It was 300 years after um, Jesus was born. Until 1940s, When a shepherd boy finds a bunch of clay pots with a bunch of, bunch of old, old, old pieces of paper in them. In and around the Dead Sea. 
And those are what we call the Dead Sea Scrolls. And in there are all kinds of books of antiquity. The, a lot of the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament, and particularly one, uh, a number of books of Isaiah. And one of them was dated by both carbon testing and the, the alphabet that was used to about 150 years before Jesus was born. And that's just one of the many examples that say, academically, I mean the best you can with a book of antiquity, this book is second to none in its authenticity and reliability. And I do say all of that to say it's worth reading without any baggage. To set the baggage aside. That if, if there's a reason to not trust it, it's a reason you bring to it. It's not a reason of the book itself. Now, you may read it and disagree with it. You may say, well, that's all nice and fine, but I'm not interested. And, and that is your responsibility. That's your response but it's not one that Jesus encourages. But what he encourages is us to read it and then follow him. Back to the story with Jesus and John the Baptist. The very end, then, he says, And don't be offended by me. Blessed are those who aren't offended by me. I mean, he knew that John the Baptist had. had his expectations, anticipation was not in line with what Jesus was doing. So he was saying, don't, don't turn off of me. Continue to believe me. As, as we are reset by the, the written word, as we go back to the text, as we go back to the, the life of Jesus, he's going to offend us. He's going to challenge us. He's going to surprise us. He's even going to confuse us. I mean, Jesus is not a simple character. There's times that he says, I bring peace. And there's other times he says, I don't bring peace, but a sword. And I'm here to tell you that my experience with Jesus, I mean, I really wanted Jesus to be a nice genie in a bottle. You know, that I could just rub on the bottle when I was in trouble and he would come rescue me. Sort of like John the Baptist. But if you come to the text, you come to the written word of God with no baggage, Jesus is going to mess with your life. It's just the way that it is. The closing part of the the story, then with with Jesus as he turns to the crowd, is is he warns them about bringing their their baggage to Jesus. He's telling them to come to Jesus and seek, seek him out purely. Seek him out without preservatives, without additives. Verse 31. To what then will I compare the people of this generation? And what are they like? They're like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another. 
We played the flute for you and you didn't dance. We wailed and you did not weep. It's basically saying, you know, it's like for God when He comes to God's people and they've got, they've got expectations and anticipations and paradigms that they're not willing to put aside and let God be who God is. It's like damned if you do, damned if you don't. For God, John the Baptist came wearing weird clothes, not partying at all, living out in the desert, calling everybody to repentance. And they said, oh, he's got a demon. And Jesus came eating and drinking with everybody, ready to, to have a party with anybody and hanging out with whomever wanted to hang out with him. And what they say about him? Oh, he's a drunkard, he's a glutton, and he's a friend, tax collectors and sinners. I truly believe that if we come to Jesus best we can, open and honest, we will indeed meet somebody who will mess up our lives, who will save us and lead us to life everlasting, but not according to our expectations and our anticipation. And if we don't, it's because we don't want to. When push comes to shove, we really don't want Jesus to mess with our lives. So my, my prayer for us in these six weeks is, is to journey with Christ, with one another, in the, the, the whole food Jesus, you know, the no additives, the no preservatives, to, to as best we can participate in this, this exercise in, in small groups and other relationships where we can be honest with ourselves and with one another and honest unto God and let Him continue to reform our expectations, our anticipation of what He is going to do. So may we enter this with an open mind and a willingness to be changed. Because if we're truly walking with Jesus and we're not wrestling with something, we're not thinking in our minds, man, I don't like this about Jesus, then I've got to wonder if we're really walking with the Jesus of reality. May this journey be one uh, with, with open eyes, excitement that we are continually being reset into the ways of Jesus, our Lord, our Savior, our Creator. Amen.